0: Welcome to Three Thoughts On. Today we continue our series on resilience, and my guest is Erin Avery. Erin is a national-level bodybuilder and soon to be a national-level powerlifter. From an early age, she was involved in athletics and team-level sports. While playing volleyball in college, she found her passion inside the gym instead of at the court. Since then, she embarked on a transformational journey that led her to become the national bodybuilder she is today, all while also completing a PhD in materials chemistry. The path she chose was not easy, but she stuck with it, surrounded herself with like-minded, supportive people, followed a process, and now runs a successful coaching business, helping women attain their fitness goals. This series on resilience is not just about doing amazing feats as running across the Sahara desert. It is also about doing great things for your body, all while managing a busy life. I think Erin's story is inspirational and will resonate with you as we discuss the ups and downs of her journey to become the entrepreneur, coach, and bodybuilder she is today. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I know you will too. And now, Aaron Avery. Welcome to Three Thoughts On. Today we continue this series on resilience and my guest today is Aaron Avery. Aaron, how are you today?
1: I'm doing great. Super happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, thank you so much for accepting my invitation. It was, it was, I was very happy, pleasantly happy that you accepted to be here on my podcast. It's nice to meet you um, uh, online through the magic of, of technology. Uh, Before we get started on your journey and, and, and your current life, can you take a couple of minutes and tell us a little bit about you and, and how did you get to do something that you love so much?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, for me, My fitness journey, I mean, I've always been an athlete just growing up. Like I always played sports in high school, sports in middle school, all of that. I played field hockey, softball, track, you name it. So I was always an athlete. Um, Volleyball was my main sport. And then when I got to college, that's really when things kind of kicked off. So I was recruited to play volleyball at Oneonta. So SUNY Oneonta, which is a smaller school. It's just D3 in New York and I was recruited. I just walked on the team, got a spot, and then that kind of started my fitness journey. And so, when I first started playing volleyball, I sat the bench and I sat the bench hard. I think I got maybe one game of play time my first season, um, as most freshmen do, and I'm sure a lot of other freshmen can relate to that. So for me, I just I really wanted to get on the court. I really wanted to earn my play time, and so what I ended up doing was just pouring a lot of myself into the gym so I could get stronger, so I could get faster, so I could jump higher, just be overall a more competitive volleyball player. And to be honest, at first, I absolutely hated the gym. Like <laughs> I I didn't want to get big. I didn't want to get bulky. You know, like I had these ideas of women bodybuilders as being just like these big mass monsters. And I didn't want that. I wanted to maintain like a nice, cute little feminine physique um, and just earn my playtime on the court. But the thing is, and what happened over time is the more that I was in the gym and the more that I learned what my body was capable of. And like when I started hitting all these new PRs, I just fell in love with it. And I did end up earning more playtime on the court. Like I got way faster in all my running times. I jumped, I got my vertical up to like 28 inches or something. Um, so that did happen. But interestingly enough, like the more that I was in the gym, the less I kind of loved the volleyball court. And so flash forward to like maybe sophomore year, I loved the gym so much that I just really wanted to do more with it. So I I saw like MPC bikini competitions on Instagram and I was like, oh my gosh, like that is exactly what I'm looking for. You know, they're feminine they're beautiful. They have these like sparkly bikinis. And I was like, man, like that's what I want. Um, so my sophomore year of college, I just Googled NPC coaches near me.
0: <laughs> and mm. I hired
1: my first coach and I stepped on stage in twenty fifteen for my first show.
0: Twenty fifteen. Okay. So that was your first show. And then from then on you just kept competing and you've been competing every year ever since.
1: Yes, essentially. So I did my first show in 2015, not knowing anything about the sport. My coach didn't even end up going with me on like the day of my show because she was sick. So it was just me standing up there. Um, It was really scary, my first show. but And I didn't end up placing it open. I think I only placed in junior. Um, So I wasn't good at it when I started. I was so tiny. I think my first stage weight was like 115 pounds and I'm five, seven almost. So I was tiny. I wasn't good at it. But the minute that I stepped on stage and the minute that like, I just had that experience, like it's like the world stops, you know, you get on stage and you just, you've worked so hard for the last 16, 20 weeks. You've dieted hard. Like you've put in all of this energy into this moment and there's just nothing like it. So after that first show, like I was hooked. I loved it. And I was like, man, when can I do this again next? So then that kind of started everything with bodybuilding and that side of competing. So I competed again. uh, I think the next year, 2016, I did an OCB show. So I competed in a natural league. And then again in 2017, when I was in grad school.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Let me ask you, so at what point in that journey did you start noticing yourself changing? Because obviously, you know, you got a coach, you started doing the workouts. I'm sure there was some nutrition planning and, and, and all of the various things that come with it. But it takes time. It takes time. And then everybody's a little bit different. Everybody's, you know, body responds at a different pace to, to, to weight training. At what point did you start noticing that your body was changing?
1: I started noticing right away. So when beginners start off in the gym, you get what's called noob gains. So everything kind of sticks to you a little bit more. You're able to gain strength a lot faster than maybe like middle journey to like several years down the road. So and because I started when I was so skinny, I started at 115 pounds, literally like any all the food that I was eating and all the weight training I was doing, like I was just able to gain strength so fast. And it was it was cool.
0: But you did so without getting big, as you mentioned, you said, you you know, your idea was not, you know, for, for that particular look, but for a completely different look. And obviously that means different types of routines, different types of workouts, different types of activities. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, I was very afraid of training upper body, especially in the beginning. So I would say I probably avoided training upper body, maybe the first two years of my journey just because again that stigma of getting big but you know the interesting thing and something that i didn't realize at the beginning of my journey is it takes a lot of work to get big like you're not just gonna pick up a dumbbell do some bicep curls and all of a sudden grow into this mass monster which is what a lot of women like don't realize um so i've been trying to get big now for 10 years and i mean i'm 150 pounds but When when I step on stage, um, I don't think a lot of people think I'm, like, gigantic.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, certainly, you know, for all the stuff that you publish, you know, and post, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look like that look you are avoiding, for sure, right? I mean, you, you see that in other types of competitions and so forth. Let me ask you, so you mentioned the transition from the sport or the athletics of, you know, volleyball and other things into the gym, uh, was that a process where you, you felt like at any point like you were letting in something behind? I mean, these are two different dynamics, right? I mean, you know, there, there's on, on one hand, there's a team aspect of it. Uh, the competitions, of course, are very different. The environment where you're actually doing the work is also different. Did you Did you feel as you were going from one type of lifestyle to the other that you were leaving something behind and replacing that with something else? Or were you just done with that and ready for something new?
1: Yeah, I would say it was definitely a gradual change. Like I, I mean, I still play volleyball sometimes. Like I played volleyball very seriously all three years of my undergrad career. And then when I got to grad school, I was able to continue. I played club for four years, but in comparison to the level of commitment in college versus grad school, I would say I went from playing like five, six days a week, very, very seriously To maybe like two to three times a week. Um, So it was a gradual change. And the aspect that pulled me to like the bodybuilding side of things is that bodybuilding is very individual. Like if you don't do the work, that's on you, you know? Um, Whereas like volleyball is more of a team thing. So you can't really control all of the outcomes. Like if your teammate's having a bad day, They're just going to bring everyone down with them on the court. Whereas like with bodybuilding, like I have the power to get my ass up every single day, (laughs) get the work done and just put in the reps. That's all on me.
0: Well, that's very interesting. And then there's a level of accountability, like you said, is this is this is you It's, It's like, you know, working, working by yourself as a consultant or being part of a company um, or having a team that you can rely on or that can pick you up when you're not necessarily feeling well. But also, I assume that you do have some sort of a team, right? You have coaches or, or other, other uh, builders that support you in this journey, right? It's not just you alone.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the higher and higher up you get in the sport, as far as like from a competitive aspect the larger your team becomes. So, I mean, for this last show, I competed now in over 15 shows. And my last show was in June at Junior Nationals. And for that show, I had my bodybuilding coach who did like my nutrition and posing, um, my workout coach, which is actually my boyfriend who coaches for me full time. He writes all my programming. Um, I worked with a food psychologist for a long time um, on my relationship with food, um, especially because it can get pretty restrictive with bodybuilding for periods of time, for sure. And then I also have worked um, with a business mentor and a therapist on all of those aspects leading up into the show.
0: <laughs> so it takes a lot of a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of different disciplines. And I think that I think one of the things that I wanted to touch on you know reviewing you know the, the materials that you have on your website there's a lot of moving parts in getting the results that you've been able to attain uh in those like you said before it takes time for the muscles actually to to grow in a way that's notable, noticeable uh in a meaningful way which means an enormous amounts enormous amounts of discipline um how do you do that while balancing? You have a relationship. You mentioned you have your boyfriend. Uh you were in grad school. I think you've already completed your PhD. Yeah. Right. So which I I've been that path. That's that's no joke. Yeah. You know, grad school is uh is very demanding. So you got you got grad school going on, uh you got a relationship that you want to nurture, uh you got uh things that you have to do outside of everything, and then you have all the training and then the competition. How do you go about doing all that and maintaining balance?
1: Yeah. Um, So, I mean, I'll just start off by talking about my experience in grad school because I think that's what most people relate to is how did you do all these things at the same time while getting a PhD? So, I mean, for that, I think progress over perfection is the biggest thing that I would say. Like, obviously, not every day is going to be perfect. You're not going to be able to get to the gym On days where you're running experiments in the lab that are taking like 14 straight hours. um, You have to plan ahead like crazy. When I was in grad school, my entire life was logged out in Google Calendar every single day, like down to my 15 minute breaks, my lunch breaks, five meals a day. (laughs) Um, Because that's how rigid you have to be. If you want to be able to be competitive in bodybuilding while doing a PhD, because there's just so much that goes into both. Um, yeah. So my, my Google calendar was crazy.
0: <laughs> so now the PhD is over. So you've got kind of to regain a portion of your life. What have you done with that time that before was quite blocked off?
1: That has also been a very big adjustment. So now that I am out of grad school, I run my own business with coaching, That's what I do full-time. I do coaching and social media. And so that has brought on a lot of struggles in itself because you would think, oh, now that you have freed up all of these hours from doing your PhD, (laughs) you have like all the time in the world to do what you need to do. But the issue now becomes nobody is on top of you telling you when to get to class, like when to do your homework, you know, now you're the own boss. You're your own boss of all of the time. And so you have to be disciplined in your own way because it's easy to just sleep in until 10 AM and be like, Oh yeah, I can, I can do, I can write that program later today, or I can just take a nap and, you know, work till midnight. So you have to be a lot more rigid in your own way. Otherwise um, you're not going to do very good in business.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's, let's go back to, um, one of the things that I want to touch on is there's a lot of myths associated with the work that you're doing, uh, or, or for that matter, the life of an athlete, you know, people see the results, people see the end, right? They don't see the, you know, the entirety of the process. They don't see the 10 years, you know, the 15 years, you know, everything that you've been, that you've been doing to get to this point. How has that journey been? Because the myth is, is, oh, well, it's an uphill battle, um, Or the myth is, well, maybe it's not that difficult. Oh, well, you just have good genetics, right? Good genes, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You just have a good team. Uh, Oh, you just have plenty of time to get all that done. Like, how do we zoom out from all that and, and look at over that time that you've been doing this, there must have been ups and downs, just like in everything else, but obviously trending up. It's up and down, up and down, but the trend is upwards, otherwise you wouldn't be here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What are some of the things that you can you can pinpoint looking back? Say, these were the myths of what people think this is like. This is what actually was like for me, you know, your personal experience. And this is what I had to do to overcome that, which is what the resilience aspect of the conversation comes in. Like, how do you to do something like this for that long and and hopefully longer? There's got to be an element of resolve and will and grit, right? Tell me more about that.
1: Yeah. So there's two things that come to mind immediately. So one is going to be like my start in grad school and kind of how people view athletics when you're in a chemistry program. So (laughs) um, when I first got into chemistry and I think I was in my first year, um, people were talking smack. And one of these girls said like, Oh, how can she look like that and be good at chemistry? She must've done something else to get in here. (laughs) And, you know, that just goes to show like people aren't used to people like, sorry, people aren't used to prioritizing fitness alongside academia, which is one of my gripes with grad school. So a lot of times people would see me go out of lab, like in the middle of the day Um, just to go like take a two hour break to go to the gym. And I would be like the lazy grad student, you know, like, oh, she's not serious about her experiments. She's just going to the gym in the middle of the day. Um, And people didn't really take me very seriously in chemistry at the beginning of my journey. But the important thing was to just like stick to my guns, not listen to them and do my schedule in my own way, because a lot of times in grad school, people will come into the program. They'll be super excited to start, and you'll notice like several years go by, and they're kind of like angry and, you know, just like grumpy and sad and depressed because they didn't do a good job like prioritizing their life outside of the lab. Um, their life became the lab. You know, they didn't prioritize any hobbies. They didn't take a lot of time with loved ones. They didn't prioritize their health above all. Um, for me, going to the gym was my escape from like the lab. It helped me like maintain my mental sanity. <laughs> a lot of people will ask like, "How did you take time to go to the gym during grad school?" And I was like, "How do you take time not
0: to go to the gym? Like, are
1: you okay? <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> it's just like that release yeah. and that like reset throughout the day."
0: Well, let's zoom in that for a moment, because I think that the, just within that, that you just mentioned, there is yet another myth, right? How much time do you actually need at the gym to get the results that you seek for the particular program you're on? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think people, part of the reason why people were having this kind of reaction towards what you were doing is, is because there may be a stigma or a myth that in order to obtain results and look the way you do, you have to spend Endless hours at the gym, mm-hmm. and more and more we see that that's not the case. Is is that you know your experience as well?
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, to give you some perspective, right now I only currently train four days a week for about an hour a session, and that's like a. I mean, I'm a national level bodybuilder and soon to be national level level uh, powerlifter. So. That's all the time that I spend in the gym and people have this idea that you have to be in the gym grinding six days a week for two hour sessions to look amazing. But if you're smart with your programming, like if your programming is structured, you're running progressions, you're training through full range of motion, getting that tension in, training to the intensity that you need to be um, close enough to failure, you would be surprised. It only takes three to five exercises a session four days a week to really just get good results. And this is something I preach with my clients all the time. Like we have people who come in, they're nurses, they're students. They don't have time to spend six hours or six days a week in the gym. You know, they have lives, they have loved ones. They have kids that they have to take care of. Um, So getting people to grasp this concept of it doesn't take as much time as you think is like a large goal of what we do at She Lifts Academy.
0: Do you think it it makes a difference when you say it doesn't take as much time as you think? Uh, Is that statement more true when you're in a maintenance program than if you're in a growth program, or it doesn't matter either way?
1: Yeah, so obviously there are levels, and I'll just use bodybuilding for this example. So, I mean, if you're growing or maintaining, it does, I would say, take a lot less effort from like life stress kind of side of things. Cause you're, you're only really paying attention to the work you're doing in the gym. So if you spend one hour a session, four days a week, that's enough to maintain and grow your physique. And if you're eating good, sleeping good, making sure your stress is managed, you can definitely make progress there. Now the flip side of things is Obviously, when I'm in a bodybuilding prep and I am leaning down into stage day, maybe I'm like 12 weeks out, eight weeks out, six weeks out, and the closer you get into the show, you're doing more cardio, you're eating a lot less food, so you don't have a lot of energy. And that, of course, like affects other things. But I would say the closer you get to show, obviously, I'm not going to be spending just a uh, one-hour session four days a week. That's when it does get a little bit more time-consuming. But again, it's only for short periods of time when I am close to like the stage.
0: Okay. Let's talk about some of the setbacks. You know, what kind of setbacks have you had? I mean, have you had, have you experienced injuries, you know, along the way, which of course, you know, are very common and and how did you go, how do you deal with those?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I've definitely experienced a few injuries I've had, um, I've suffered with patella femoral syndrome in my knee which has limited the volume that I can do with a lot of squatting. I've also, I've had a wrist injury this year with front squatting, which has a been a bummer, but that didn't really affect things too, too bad. The most important thing with injuries is that it's not the end of the world. When you get an injury, you can do the best that you can to work around the pain. So like, obviously don't do anything in the gym that hurts and just so you can get your body enough time to recover and make sure you get PT um, make sure you're doing your PT even when it doesn't hurt. So it is a setback, but it's it's not
0: forever. <laughs> Interesting. Let me ask you a, a different question. What are some of the things that you've learned along the way that now looking back you look at it and see? You know, I really wasn't doing that the right way. Mm-hmm. You know that you know that now that you've you've had you know you know more experience, uh, a bigger group a bigger support group, you know, the coaches, you know, and, and, uh, the rest of the community. Cause I, you know, at least from the outside looking in, it looks like a community uh, of people who are all going in this journey that you've embarked on looking back. Can you, can you pinpoint to things like, you know, that was not a good way to exercise, or that was not a good way to go about my routine.
1: Yeah, definitely. So when I did my first prep, um, obviously, I didn't know a lot about the sport or the correct things to go about it. And I just went with the first coach that I ever had. And granted, she did teach me a lot about the sport, but uh, there is a lot of things that I would change now looking into it. So just to just to give some examples, my first prep, I ran a um, meal plan from 20 weeks out all the way into show day. And that meal plan was super restrictive because I didn't know any better. I was just eating like chicken and broccoli for six meals a day because this is what the bodybuilders do. You know, that's how they get their results. I was doing like insane amounts of cardio. I was in the gym six days a week doing like 10 exercises a session, supersets out the wazoo. <laughs> so it was just very much this mindset of work hard and work even harder to get those results. But Now, like my perspective on at least prepping for shows has changed like so drastically. Now I count macros. Now I realize that you don't have to eat in a huge, huge deficit to get super shredded. Um, Like more so, it's better if you do things gradually. So, to give some number examples, last prep I finished my growing phase, maintaining around twenty four hundred calories, and to move into deficit, we then moved to like 2,100 calories, sat a few weeks there until I lost some weight and then moved again to like 1,900 calories. And we stayed at 1,900 calories for like maybe eight straight weeks. And just until my body stopped responding to that deficit, and then we dropped again. So it doesn't have to be like Oh, one day you're eating 2,400 calories and then, Oh, you're on prep. Now you eat 800 calories. It's very gradual and stepwise. And you can also have a lot of variation when it comes to your food. You don't have to be on this strict, rigid meal plan, eating chicken and broccoli for six meals a day. Nobody's supposed to eat chicken and broccoli for six meals a day. (laughs) Um, So just like knowing that it's okay to have a piece of cake here and there on prep, as long as it fits your macros. That is such a game changer, especially when you're working in that work-life balance. Like if you want to go on date night and enjoy some some sushi with your significant other, you can totally do that. And you can still make progress to, towards your goals. And so learning that aspect has just been like a world of difference. It's been like way more um, sustainable and better to balance everything
0: couple of things I want to touch on. Are you a food lover? Yes. <laughs> and you love food? <laughs> because I was just having a conversation with a, with a, with a colleague uh, last night, and this is a theory that I have. I'm actually looking for proof of it. I don't have any proof, so don't quote me on this. But it seems to me that humans are the only species that has concluded that, you know, throughout our evolutionary... Uh, history that we can just eat whatever we want and somehow the body will process it. Right. You look at other mammals, a horse eats the exact same thing its entire lifetime every day. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you can go down the list, you know, and you know, every animal mammal out there, they eat three, four or five things, you know, at most we have taken food and taken it from a necessity to live And made made it into a pleasure. (laughs) And not just a pleasure, but a social pleasure, right? So, you know, we we, we get together, we celebrate, you know, we do all these things. And as a result of that, we're overfed. But that's just where we are. So you go from that mindset of, I love food, which I'm guilty to, I love (laughs) food, to I am going to go on a number of weeks of depriving myself from the things that I want to eat. Is that hard for you? And if so, how do you overcome it?
1: Yeah, so like I said, I definitely love my food. (laughs) And for me, keeping my intake high has been like the most important thing because then I have a lot of calories to fill throughout the day and I can get a lot of variety. Now, like what you mentioned, when I get deeper into prep and I do get more restrictive when my intake gets lower, it definitely does um, take its toll on me, um, but there are things you can do to implement more flexibility like free meals or refeeds. And now obviously, like you'll get to a point during prep where you can't even take those because it does get a, li- a, li- a lot more stricter um, when you're trying to get down to 10%, 13% body fat. So. There will be a time where you do have to suffer and that's just the sport of bodybuilding. You know, bodybuilding is an extreme sport. You want extreme results. You have to do some extreme things. So there will be periods of weeks where there will be no date nights. And the important thing with that is having a supportive partner who understands where you're at, understands your grind and supports your goal. So I'm very lucky Trevor is extremely supportive with my goals. So he gets it. Um, Obviously, when I'm hangry and I'm on a thousand calories a day, he knows when to keep his distance. But overall, like the journey is great.
0: So it becomes at that point a very mental challenge. Yeah. Uh, More so. Well, it's always a physical challenge, but then now the mental part uh, becomes uh, a, a significant play in there. Uh let me ask you back to the injury. Um my friend Charlie Engel, you know, he he ran across the Sahara Desert. He did two marathons a day for 111 days straight. I can't even think of what that will be like. And on the on the podcast interview he said something. I'll I'll repeat what he says and I'd like to get your feedback on that and see if that resonates with you or if at some point you felt that way. He said to me, you have to redefine your relationship with pain. Mm-hmm. And that stuck in my mind, right? That just stuck in my mind. That was something that he had said to Matt Damon when they went for a run, when they were doing the, the, the Netflix uh, documentary of that, of, that, of that feat of running across the Sahara. You have to redefine your relationship with pain. How does that hit you?
1: I couldn't agree with that statement more, um, especially like when you are shutting down for a show, when you are just in pain, when you can only think about food and your stomach is grumbling and you don't have any macros left, it's, it's painful. It is. But the way that I redefine pain when I'm in that state is, you know, this is what separates first place from second place. The people who can suffer more and just get that delayed gratification are the people who win. And if you want to win, again, it's an extreme sport. You're going to have to suffer. So redefining that relationship with pain is crucial to your success
0: in bodybuilding. Do you have tools when you get to that threshold of that that you know, in other words, when I get here and I'm feeling like this and I need a Snickers bar, like the commercial <laughs> says, right? I am just going to go and go for a walk, or I'm going to go for a bike ride, or I'm going to go for a drive, or do you ju- do you meditate, or do you read, or do you listen to music and start dancing? You know, are, do you, or do you just will yourself through it?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, in prep, you'll get to a point where it hits 6 PM and you literally feel like a zombie. And how you get from 6 PM to 10 PM when you can finally go to bed, (laughs) it varies person to person. So for me, if I have energy, I'll go for a walk for sure. I love walking outside. Like I live in SoCal. The weather's always beautiful. It always puts you in a better mood. Listen to a podcast um, just feed your brain a good diet of motivational and inspirational thoughts. Um, that's very important. And then my other advice is I like Animal Crossing. So <laughs> I'll just play my switch. If I want to turn my brain off, I'll play Animal Crossing for like hours.
0: <laughs> that is great. Hey, I love that. I'm a technologist. So the use of technology for something good to get you through those 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 difficult times. Uh let's talk about stress. You know, you've mentioned, you know, stress a couple of times in the conversation as far as we we all know the effects of stress. Um, we know that stress is a good thing, but sustained stress is not. Um how do you manage your stress uh today? And and where does this stress come from for you when you you know you seem to have a very regimented life? You know, you have a lot of things you're doing, like you said, you're you, you you're it, you know. You, You're the one that has to work out. You're the one that has to run your business. You're the one who has to do all these different things. You know, you don't don't have a team to delegate things to. You can't delegate the workouts, right? Mm -hmm. Um, When you have a life like that, right, if we just remove the Instagram, you know, it's like where does the stress come from and how do you manage it?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, a lot of stress right now is, From like growing my business and putting out content that I love and resonates with my audience on social media. And when I feel like I'm failing at any one of those, it's definitely stressful. Um, I'm sure a lot of other creators can relate to this, but if you work three hours on a video and it only gets shown to maybe 1% of your audience, it can be very defeating. And it's easy to kind of put your worth into your content, which is not a good thing. Um, So for me, separating those two things, so like, I am not my content has been like a good affirmation that I've used. Um, And just realizing, like, even if my audience isn't going to see it, I still need to put out things that I love. And things that I think will help other people because I've been doing social media now for 10 years. Um, I started posting at the beginning of my journey and at first it was really uncomfortable. You know, I would get feedback on my lifts from people I didn't want feedback on. They would tell me like, Oh, your form sucks. Like, why are you doing that? Like I could lift that. And I'm a 10 year old boy, (laughs) like whatever people you on the, in the comments on YouTube. But yeah, the most important thing is just to align your message with what you believe in and not get too concerned in like the views and the likes, um, just putting out things you love. And then the other thing like with stress management is just, um, compartmentalizing. So working for me, usually I work like eight to five and making sure that at 5 PM I am off the clock. I am not thinking about work. I am fully present with my loved ones or whatever hobbies that I'm doing Um, Having that uh, boundary has been a big game changer when it comes to stress so that I can just switch my brain off, wind down and just do something else for the rest of the day. So I'm not working 24-7 because as an entrepreneur, it's easy to be working 24 hours, seven days a week. Um, They say you quit your nine to five and trade it for the 24-7, you know, when you become a business owner. (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, I, I can relate. <laughs> I can definitely relate to that. Well, Aaron, we have, we're almost out of time. What I would like to do with the time that's left is, I mean, for, first of all, thank you. You've shared quite a bit of, of, of information about your journey. At the end of the day, my hope with the podcast is, is to inspire people out there to, to look at people like you and look at what you've accomplished and realize that they can do that too. What will be three things you would tell the listeners out there along the lines of that goal?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's not caring what other people think or what they say. Don't um, listen to them when they cast their doubts on you, because at the end of the day, like you only get one life. You only get to live it once. So just do things that you enjoy and figure it out. Um, it's not going to make sense all the time as far as like your direction. But as long as you're doing what you enjoy and just putting your energy into alignment with those goals, um, you're going to get there.
0: Well, great. Well, thank you so much for uh, – oh, and actually, where where can people find you?
1: Yeah, so I am on almost all social platforms now. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Erin underscore Avery, so A I R I
0: N underscore A V E R Y. Excellent. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for making the time. I know it's Friday, and um, I'm sure it's as beautiful in Irvine or where, where in South Cal you are, is in Irvine, yep. <laughs> as it is in Lake Nona, Orlando here. So, uh, thank you very much for making the time. Thank you for what you're doing. You are truly an inspiration. My daughter follows you. So, <laughs> uh, and, uh, I wish that you have a wonderful weekend. Thank you for making the time for us.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me.